emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host Ron Baker, and on today's show, an interview with Peter Block. Ron, how are you today? I'm great, Ed. I'm so looking forward to this. I know, you and me both. You know, we're, we're, we're prepping for this show, and the usual term that we we use when we prep to have a guest on is is marinating in their work and and uh, you're in California and earlier you said to me that you were, have been marinating on on Peter's work since 5 a.m. this morning <laughs> and and my response was well I've actually been marinating on it since I think 2004 or <laughs> and I figured it must have been sooner than that even Ed but <laughs> But um, and before we bring Peter on, I, I want to make a, a connection for all of us, and that is is that this show is is in some ways an absolute direct result of the work of Peter Block. In that, in I think it was April of 2004, I got an email from my once and future boss that said I should read your book, Ron. And I think it was pretty. It was just like all caps in the subject line. Read. <laughs> so I was like, okay. Uh, and I was had just finished up. Peter Block's book, The Answer to How is Yes. So then I, I picked up Professional's Guide to Value Pricing, and I, I, I called you because he had made a connection, my boss had made a personal connection to you and, and thought that you would be a good speaker for, for a, a leadership group that I was running. And we had you on, and we had you share your stuff on value pricing with this group. And back in 2004, there was just stunned silence, right? So there was <laughs> – and you were were very concerned that it went poorly and, and called me up right away and said, hey, listen, you know, I, I really felt that that went bad. And we just had, a, had our first conversation, really. And one of the things we got to talking about was books, and 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 I said, well, Ron, you know, it's it's okay. It, I think you know this book is a very influential one, and it's it's hard for people to get their mind around. And I said, it's weird because I have two books back to back that have have really changed my life. And immediately you asked, well, what was the other book? <laughs> and, and I said, Peter Black. The answer to how is yes. And you you ran out immediately, bought the book, called me up. I don't know, maybe it was a day later because you read it straight through. And said, I can't believe you're comparing me to this guy. <laughs> this is the book, and I love this quote, I wish I would have written. <laughs> right, right. Um, and, and on that note, Peter, I just want to bring you into the conversation and, and give you a, a, a heartfelt thank you for introducing me in a way to Ron and creating this friendship that we now have for a number of years. Uh, there's a lot of levels going on here in this conversation. It's very meta, uh, but you've created community. <laughs> Well, thank you for caring about these ideas and uh, marinating. I feel a little guilty now. You could have started at 6 a.m. and it would have been fine, you know. But, uh, anyway, it's, it's nice to be part of your community for a little while. So thank you so much. Well, you're most welcome. Let me let me get the particulars out of the way. Peter Block is an author, consultant, and I love this, citizen of C Cincinnati, Ohio. His work is about empowerment, stewardship, 
chosen accountability and reconciliation of community. He's the author of several best-selling books. His most popular are Flawless Consulting, A Guide to Getting Your Expertise Done, Stewardship, Choosing Service Over Self-Interest, The Flawless Consulting Fieldbook and Companion, uh, Community, The Structure of Belonging, which I believe has just been updated. And by the way, that is, in my opinion, the best book ever written about social media that doesn't mention so- social media. Uh, freedom and Accountability at Work, uh, more, more on that later. And of course, my personal favorite, the answer to how is yes, acting on what matters. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise officially, Peter Block. Thank you very much. Thank you. So the first question I have for you is, what did an organizational consultant in the information services department at ESSO do in 1963? Well, uh, look for meaningful work. You know, I was actually in, in employee relations, and one of our groups we worked with was the uh, information services at that time. And that was, you know, that's a while ago. And, and they're the ones that came to us because I wasn't doing much. They, they, had, they wanted to get into organizational change and stuff, and so the HR exec liked me. And then I got there, and they said, why don't you revise performance appraisal forms? So I spent about a year doing nothing. And then finally somebody came and said, you know, we, we have all these ideas at IT and information services, but nobody's acting on what we recommend. Can you help us figure out why? And that was kind of a, that launched the world for me because we talk, you know, started talking about consulting skills, which is having influence when you don't have control. And we didn't know that the whole world would evolve in that direction. But I was, you know, basically the first year was a gift. And then after a couple of years, they decided to do something, and they invited me into doing something. So I had a, I had a, great, I had a great job. I used to leave my, you know, we wore suit and ties then and had hours, you know, the limit of the day. The work had not invaded by all of my being yet. So I'd leave my jacket on my chair, and then I'd come in at 10.30 the next morning. It looked like I was in a meeting. And uh, so that was a pretty, that was a whole other time. <laughs> that, was, that was an era of doing less with more. <laughs> Outstanding. Well, how ironic that you were, you were revising the performance appraisal forms in the end. <laughs> <laughs> that I spent the rest of my career arguing against them. So there you go. <laughs> yes, and we will definitely talk about that. In fact, we've done two shows on abolishing performance appraisals, and they're they're among our most popular that people go back and listen to. But ne- next, I want to jump into a little bit of your work here. And as the uh, uh, me personally, the owner and and reader, by the way, of all three editions of Flawless Consulting, um, oh. it's really yeah, <laughs> it's it's fun to watch the evolution of your thinking and. I want to ask you what might be, a, I hope, a challenging question is, as you consider your career, what, what do you think you've changed your mind the most about? Uh, you know, I, uh, I've always needed teachers, and uh, kind of each one changed my mind. You know, I, in early days, I got into gestalt therapy just as a client, and I realized that analyzing the world was useless. And, and out of that insight came the flawless book, which is, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? And then at another phase, I got into the inner game of tennis with Tim Galway. And I got the idea that trying hard 
and, uh, and, get, and judging the world was also useless, and all you had to do was pay attention. And then I, I kind of uh, got into Peter Kestenbaum, a philosopher, and I would always thought that if I worked on myself with diligence, I would get better, and that there was something wrong with me. And I heard him give a talk in Stockholm, actually, and what he said was that being lonely, anxious, uh, uh, wondering what the hell is going on, confused and lost are not personal problems. It's in the nature of being a human being. And I heard that talk and uh, I thought, oh, no. So all, all these things have kind of uh, had a huge impact on my life. John McKnight, I heard him, read his stuff and heard him talk and he told me that people's gifts are what matter and deficiencies and needs are not worth paying attention to. And so all these just kind of flip my thinking. You know, and now you get the idea and it takes you six or seven years to understand what the hell they're talking about. But uh, all of those have, have kind of uh, gone against the conventional wisdom that you should work hard on yourself, that there are things wrong with you, that uh, analyzing is useful, you know, that people learn from teaching. Uh, Ken told, taught tennis and never gave an instruction. And so, I don't know, these are all things that have changed my life, and then the way I make sense of things is I write them down. And, uh, and then once I write a book or write about them, then I can let go of them and create space for something else. And, 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 you know, lately I, I've been with the uh, Old Testament scholar, Walter Brueggemann, who, who uh, uses the Exodus story and, about the predatory economy of Pharaoh's Egypt and says that's what we're living in now, and that just kind of got me interested in economics. And I thought the whole premise of our current economic thinking is uh, dehumanizing the world. So that's a long answer to a question you didn't ask, but it's the best. Thing. <laughs> but it's it, but yet a, a, a wonderful answer, and um, so th- thank you for for sharing that. I I feel the, the, this the same way. Every, every author that I read has influenced me in some way, and um, yeah. I, I came across recently, well, probably a couple of years ago, the uh, and picked up some uh, Michel de Montaigne, the I believe is a wow. French meta philosopher, right? Who we his yeah. dying declaration, Peter. I don't know if you heard this. Is que sais-je, which which means in French, what do I know? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> Picasso, his last drawing after you know being Picasso was a stick figure. <laughs> he drew a, a line across was the hat, a, a jagged was the nose, the chin. And he says, that's my best painting ever. And uh, same idea. That somehow to be able to see things clearly and simply uh, it takes a great deal of knowledge. And in the end, you realize how little, you know. People ask the question, well, how did you get where you are today? And my answer is, I didn't get there. You know? <laughs> it's, it's kind of an, an illusion that there's a destination or a way of being that we're, we're going to get to it someday. Not. So true. I, I want to ask you a, a question about a question. 
that I have developed and been been using with people as they begin consulting engagements. You you talk in flawless consulting about three different types of consultants, um, pair of hands expert and collaborators, and how all of them have their challenges. There's no sweet spot. I love the fact that it's not a two by two in a quadrant, by the way, right? <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Uh, and and that you you really have to 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 think about those things. And one one of the the things that I've I've started asking people to do is draw out the triangle with those three terms and explain what they are. And then ask your prospective customer to put a dot in the triangle where mm. where they're close where they're closest to, right? So. Um, are you are you you know at the point of collaboration here here or here? And I just what are you, what are your thoughts on on that as a framework for in getting involved in a consulting engagement to try to balance those three things? I love it. I love the visualization of it, the triangle, and I I love it honors the complexity of it. And 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 you could ask the client where do you what are you looking for? And then you could ask them uh, where. How do you operate? And then ask them, how do you see me? You know, we've been together 20 minutes. You know everything there is to know about me. Uh, <laughs> where, and I think you know, these things are, every diagnostic tool is nothing more than the beginning of a conversation. And, but it's, it's decisive what kind of conversation you construct. And so I think it's a great way to frame it and uh, visualize it and then say we need to talk about how we want to work together without, uh, you know, being too judgmental about, you know, because the, the, the hardest thing in consulting is the client wants magic, all right? They want, everybody wants a turnkey operation, and every consultant wants to, to deliver magic. And so what you're trying to do is to de- demystify, demagic our relationship and say, you know, what is it that we can do together together usefully? I think this is a great launch for that conversation. How do we want to work together? And, uh, Super. And basically, well, people will trust you based on the realness of your response to these things. Because everything you do to get the job works against you. And uh, that's what's complicated about it. You just have to show up and, and say, here's what I see and here's what I want. What do you want from me? And is this something that will work for us? Because in a service business, I can't afford a failure because I, all I have is my reputation. So true. So true. All right. Well, we're up against our first break. We want to remind you that you can contact Ron or me by sending an email to ask TSOE, the soul of enterprise at verisage.com. And certainly uh, our show notes and all previous shows are up on thesoulofenterprise.com as well as previews to upcoming shows. But right now, a word from our sponsor, Leading Results. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Is your website just a brochure, or is it your best salesperson? If your site is not the best lead generation tool you have, we should talk. We are leading results. 
we build websites and marketing programs that impact your bottom line. Using HubSpot or WordPress, we'll create a website and supporting marketing program that gets your business found, converts web visitors to leads, and provides clear tracking on what is and is not working. Learn about our team and approach to your success. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Solemn Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're honored to be here with author Peter Block. And Peter, your book, The Answer to How is Yes, which, like Ed said, I, I read it and it just blew my mind and I... I, I did think, wow, I wish I could have written this book because you just articulated everything I believe but could never put it in such beautiful words and, and prose as you did. But I wanted to ask you about the epigraph to the book because it is so counterintuitive. And the epigraph is transformation comes more from pursuing profound questions than seeking practical answers and that is so counterintuitive to a business audience that thinks everything has to be practical. Can you kind of unpack no, that for me? No. You know, if you want tomorrow to be just like yesterday, then methodology will get you there. And most of us, with a short time perspective and a bias towards, you know, uh, things working and being predictable. So it's really a philosophical question as to how much predictability you require in your world. But if you want a predictable world, you'll never be surprised. And so if if transformation matters to you, if you want tomorrow to be different than yesterday, you can't engineer your way into it because everything you engineer will be from yesterday's mind, yesterday's way of thinking. A friend of mine, the market research got fired. And so what happened, he says, well, I was unable to take unpredictability out of the future. And I, and I thought, uh, wow, that's quite amazing. That, that would be an expectation. So it's kind of not a, uh, there's nothing wrong with being practical. And at the end of the day, you're going to make a list and do something about it. But if you start with the desire for practicality, if you start by asking where else has this worked, how long will it take, how much will it cost, how fast can we move, if you ask those questions, then tomorrow is just going to be like yesterday. Now, if you're a monopoly business, you're in great shape. If you're the only barbershop within 100 miles, who cares? But if you have the thought, the feeling, the intuition, the desire, 
to see something change in the world, then you can't start with being practical. You'll just recreate yesterday. And uh, that's as unclear as I can be. Right. No, that's excellent. I mean, one of our favorite lines is creativity always takes us by surprise. Otherwise, we wouldn't need it, and we could, <laughs> we could predict it. And, and it's so true. That it, it, you know, asking questions leads to, to new ways of thinking and innovation and creativity. Your, your six yeah. questions, I have to tell you, I mean, they're, Ed, Ed and I now are, when we hear somebody ask a question in one of our workshops and they start with how, it's, it's like a trigger warning <laughs> it goes off in our yeah. mind because we know they're okay. usually asking the wrong question. Like you say in the book, it's not that the how questions don't need to be answered. They do. It's just that most people tend to put them at the start. I, I just want to ask yeah. you, how'd you, how how did you notice that? Was it from teaching just so much and then just recognizing no. how many questions came up that I started just- how? I just, uh, it's so painful. Uh, you know, if you're trying to create something unique in the world, which all of us are, the resistance is overwhelming. And uh, you try to make sense of the resistance in a way that doesn't, isn't judgmental or treat anybody any different than, than yourself. And it just, it just dawned on me that most of the reasons not to do something had to do with the practical. The argument against democracy is it costs too much and takes too long. That's the attraction we have for Pharaoh's Egypt. That's the attraction we have for a leader of certainty. And uh, so it's just, you know, it's me trying to understand my failures in a way that didn't always blame the other person. And I say, well, it's a way of thinking. And it's a longing for practicality. And, uh, and it was the last chapter of the stewardship book that I just had as a throwaway chapter talking about nothing. And then my publisher, Steve, from uh, Bear Collett, says, why don't you write a book on that last chapter? And so uh, I thought Steve was right. And it's a tough issue. And you stated it perfectly. It's not an argument against methodology. It's an argument against starting there. And I you seduce people. You say, well, when do we get down to practicality? I say, we're going to get there, but this afternoon. And this afternoon, they say, aren't we going to get practical? I say, yeah, we are. We'll get there but at the end of the day. And so if you can postpone the practical discussion, then maybe people will talk about the deeper questions, your value question, and ask, you know, well, what's the point? What are we trying to create here? Who are we together? I, I know, uh, and, and it helps people get connected. Questions bring people together. Answers drive us apart. Ideology, the conflict you see in the world, is people thinking they're right and being more wedded to their ideology than working something out. And a friend of mine is a math teacher, and she said something that just, you know, I can't ever forget. She says, well, what I do is, create a classroom where the students fall in love with each other in the presence of a math teacher. And I thought, now that's practical. If people don't get connected, they can't learn anything. And the questions that we use, mostly their goal is to bring intimacy into a world where people are deeply isolated and disconnected. Mm, That's beautiful. 
um, you know, you the, the other insight that just really is just one of those buke. We call it a bu quake. You know, when your mind has just been totally <laughs> shook up. Uh, is this a great moment? Don't you just love those moments? Oh, there! I live for those moments. Uh, and your book was full of them. And and the thing that really struck me, Peter, is when you talk about when people start with these how questions. How do you do it? How long will it take? How you know? How much will it cost? And how did we get these other people to change? And all of those questions. It's because those are defense mechanisms. Because they don't want to change. Because, and it's so true. No matter how well you answer those questions. They'll go, well, th- that doesn't apply to me. They're different from us or whatever. I mean, that is such a profound psychological insight into how humans resist change. Yeah. I, am I, did I interrupt you? or? Yeah, no, go ahead, please. I, it wasn't a question. It was know, just a statement. But the language, <laughs> where you want. to me, it's an escape from accountability. Mm. It's, not, it's an escape from choice. I don't think humans resist change. I think they resist coercion. And I think they're frightened of the unpredictability of change. And so am I. You know, it's just part of our nature. And really the the questions of how are used, you right the way you said it. They are a defense, but they're a defense against being accountable. They're a defense against the idea that the world is mine to create. And I would rather choose safety over adventure. And so you're trying to create conditions where people feel safe enough in the room or with you or with God or something so they can uh, put themselves at risk, which they've been longing for all along. Uh, And so I just uh, have the point of view in the world and with myself, because we're no different, that if I can see that it's my anxiety about control and the fact that I'm afraid of being accountable for myself and the world. And once I can name that, uh, then I'm up for something. I'm ready to take a chance. And the good questions, you know, what's your contribution to the problem, are really questions that confront people with their freedom. And that's what I'm terrified of. We're all afraid of our freedom. But in the end, with the support of people like you and his language, uh, we say, well, I'm afraid of my freedom, and here I go. And uh, Some people can do that at the age of 12. Some people do it with their last breath. You know? Well, and, and that's a good point about being a you know, defensive against being accountable. And, and then you go on to say these how questions, all of this is a wish to go to heaven and not have to die. <laughs> and I just thought, wow. It, I don't know where I heard that, but I'm glad I repeated it. <laughs> it's just, it is. That's the profound this is, the, this is the promise of the modern economy. All right? This promise that, that, uh, that somehow, if I can sell you on a device or a lotion or something, you can, you can you know, be the person you want to be, and all you have to do is, 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 is apply it. And it's, it's the illusion of convenience. You know, I like the fact that I have a washing machine, but it's not life-changing. And, uh, and so it is a wish, it's a wish for a free ride. And, uh, and, and some of that wish is a sense of entitlement, that I earned the free ride. And I think 
the, that entitlement comes from having uh, chosen safety. And in choosing safety, you deny your own humanity. And because you feel your humanity has slipped away, maybe in the form of the company I work for, or the boss I have, everybody has an excuse. But once I feel my humanity is slipping away, then I feel I do something. And what I, what's owed me is heaven without having to die. I just, I just love that. that I, I have to get your take on this, Peter, because when I read the book, what came to my mind when I read those questions uh, and how you shouldn't start with the how do you do it, and how long will it take, how much it cost, all of those things. I thought about the signers of the Declaration of Independence. And I thought about when Thomas Jefferson said, you know, come up here and put your John Hancock on this. And if he would have got these questions, these how-to questions, you know, like how much does it cost? And he might have said something like, well, possibly your life, <laughs> you know, sign here. I mean, is, yeah. is that kind of a valid image? Yes, beautiful. That document was an act of faith in in, uh, in, uh, other human beings. It was purely an act of faith. It's the same when we're deciding anything now. We're having to recreate the Declaration of Independence every day of our lives. And uh, you see how fragile it is and how even then, you know, we're still trying to figure out how to act on it. And uh, it's just, you know, so at the end of the day, the leadership is an act of faith. Invention is an act of faith. Uh, and that's why connection, that's why our isolation uh, leads us to loss of faith and deep cynicism. That's what you see in the national scene now. It's just unbelievable cynicism. And uh, there is no base, you know, that's an illusion. But you're right. And I, I always felt it doesn't matter whether you believe in God or not. It's just you have faith that uh, you can create something in the world and, and live with the consequences. Because there's no such thing as a happy ending. Uh, Only Disney's that. Disney market is happy endings, but save me from true north and uh, the false promise that everything's going to work out. Well, everything's not going to work out. And you and I are just going to be fine. I love that. We, we walk by faith, not sight. Well, Peter, this has been fantastic. Unfortunately, we're up against the break. I knew the time would just fly on the show. But, folks, I'd like to remind you, if you want to contact Ed or myself, you can do so by sending us an email at asktsoe at verisage.com. Please head on over to iTunes and give us a rating, a review. We'll give you a shout-out on the show, and it helps us get guests of the caliber of Peter Block. And now we want to hear from our sponsor, Abacus Next. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Results CRM, the award-winning Abacus Next product, is a customer relationship management solution that will automate your business processes, streamline workflows, and deliver consistent results. Cloud-enabled to provide access to your users anytime from anywhere. Grow your business in 2018 with the number one QuickBooks CRM. To learn more about Results CRM, visit ResultsCRM.com. 
clouds come in all shapes and sizes, and the Abacus Private Cloud is the perfect fit. Abacus Cloud enables all the desktop apps you know and love while providing unparalleled security to your business. Cloud functionality gives you the flexibility to work where you want, when you want, and from any device you want. Don't waste countless hours managing IT. Take back your time. Learn more at abacusnext.com. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And we are back on the Soul of Enterprise with Peter Block. Peter, this has been a, a, an incredible half hour, and we've still got another 30 minutes to go. I, I, I wanted to just pick up a little bit on the, the conversation that you were having with Ron about this notion of freedom and accountability. And, of course, your your book, Freedom and Accountability at Work, Applying Philosophic Insight to the Real World with uh, Peter Kostenbaum. And one of the things I, I – took away from that book, and, and I have to admit, I, I did not look at that in preparation. I was working on some other other of your work, but th- what's in my mind anyway is this notion that freedom and, and accountability are, are really the same thing, um, and mm-hmm. I want to share share with you the, the, the retrospective insight, I guess that's the way to put it, that I had. I, um, I, my, I have a minor in, in musical theater, <laughs> and uh, and you know my major is is in in business, but but guess which one I use more in my business career? Clearly, the theater. Exactly. <laughs> and I had the honor to play a character called Pippin when I was uh, uh, just out of college. And I don't know if you're aware of the story, but it's kind of an everyman kind of deal. And at the at the end of the show, Pippin is stripped bare of everything. He's got you know no, no, nothing left but the but his uh, his uh, his intended bride in time and her and her uh, her son. And uh, he sings this lyric that I you know sang thousands of times, getting ready to 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 do this show. And I never understood it until having read Freedom and Accountability. So I want to share with you the lyrics. I'm going to sing to you if you don't mind. <laughs> I love it. And the lyric is this. I'm not a river or a giant bird that soars to the sea. But if I'm never tied to anything, I'll never be free. And I just... That notion of what Stephen Schwartz wrote in that musical, if I'm never tied to anything, I'll never be free. And it, it hit me really 20 years later reading that book. So, so thank you for that connection point um, and uh, having such a profound insight on me. So thanks. Thank you. Thanks for the song. It's beautiful. You know, you can make a distinction between freedom and liberty. 
And liberty is the absence of oppression. And freedom is the act of commitment. It's the act of, it's a choiceful act to uh, have an intention to create a certain kind of world. And uh, it's very terrifying to be accountable for that. One of the ways that people get confronted with their freedom is if you, if you ask people, what are your gifts? What are you good at? What gift have you yet to bring in fully to the world? And people can talk about the deficiencies with total comfort because it's a great place to hide. I'm not this, I'm not that, I'm too young. Everybody has a story about their age or their history or their background. Everybody, you know, if you say, why am I this way? Well, I have a story. You know, my favorite sentence is, in Russia, even the past is unpredictable, which means it's all made up. And, uh, and, and so you become free when you choose the world, choose, you know, find your voice. But if you don't attach to something that's just a beautiful song, then, then you don't know. You have no sense of who you are, and uh, it's too easy to think that freedom is the absence of being accountable. And uh, it's just the opposite. Another phrase I got from Peter Kestenbaum, who I did that book with, uh, it says, when you're drowning, dive, go deeper. And if you're caught by the undertow of the ocean, if you swim against it, it will exhaust you. If you let it push you out to sea, it will kill you. But if you go deeper beneath it, then you can swim to the side and save your life. And I thought that was beautiful from Peter. Yeah, great stuff. Um, I, I'm going to sh- share with you, curiously, an, an email that I got this morning. Um, I'm presenting... Uh, at a conference in a couple of months, and one of the things that this this conference uh, shared is this: <laughs> this is it says respectfully, and by the way, respectfully is in bold. We remind you that of our participation requirements, which I thought was interesting, but it was respectful. Number one, be present, which you know that's good. Um, number two, if you're open to change and adopting a better way to do things, please attend the conference. Thought that was good. Then it goes this way. <laughs> um, Access the internet during breaks, not during presentations. If you're reading an email or using a mobile device d- during the meeting, you will be asked to leave and not return. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I love it. I love it. Yeah. But so th- so they started out well, right? And my response to this person was, well, as a presenter, here's the way I look at it. I my job is to be more interesting than your email, and if I'm not, you should do your email. <laughs> I love it. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and, coercive, and, coercive engagement. You know, I, <laughs> I, I understand their concern. We used to run workshops, and I'd say, all of you, please take your uh, cell phones and put them in this box, and you'll get them back during the break. And half the people wouldn't do it. You know, everybody had a mother in the hospital. And uh, <laughs> if they had to get... But, it, you know, they're, they're taking on the issue... But they take it on in a, in a, in a prescriptive way, you know. Uh, when I get, I don't do much anymore. I do workshops and people, I do some classes once in a while. Somebody be on their cell phone. And I just walk up to him. I say, who are you talking to? <laughs> you, know, you go towards him. Who are you talking to? He says, well, I'm making arrangements for tonight. I said, well, what are you doing tonight? 
you know, because it's the attention span. What do you do with it, you know? And I agree with what you said, that if they're bored, that's my responsibility. That's why I always break people into small groups after 15 minutes. Because I know that they'll find from each other maybe what they couldn't find from me. Yeah, and, I, and I, on I, that... I, the other the meta thing is that they are that they think that saying this to you now is effective. That's the weirder thing. You know, <laughs> there's nothing that makes me more leave the room than somebody telling me to be present. And uh, as if that can be legislated, that's the real weirdness, even though the content is fine. And on that notion of of small groups, you know, one of the things that Ron and I talk about on this show often is that it's it is the creativity and innovation that happens, and uh, it's unfortunate that far too many institutions, uh, you know, go- government, um, big big business, even even churches to a certain extent, t- are really more about the preservation of the status quo, right? And it's. And it's our belief that the the entrepreneur, or the small organization, is the is the one place where they say, no, no, no. Let, what can I do to to disturb the status quo today? I, I need to innovate. I need to create something new. Uh, and I, I'll ask a, a question that I get asked a lot. So is that is that scalable? Is or can that only really be done in small groups? Uh, you know, it's it's not that people want the status quo. It's just that they're cautious about putting at risk what they think they have. You know, I think the small group, the small business, uh, the, the economy I believe in is the neighborhood economy, not the city economy, not the global economy. The question of scalability, in my you know, uh, thinking about it, is that yes, you can scale it, but what you're Ag doing, but it, it scaling is to aggregate many small things without making them the same. And so, take for example a cooperative enterprise, which is, is kind of reclaiming from privatization what's ours to hold. Well, we need to organize all the cooperative enterprises, not ask them to be the same, not ask them to all be Walmarts or Amazon. But I think you can. There are some benefits to scale, to size, just in terms of it strengthens your voice. It it, it gets us uh, into the megaphone because right now most of the real radical change that's happening, you'll never read in the newspaper, you'll never hear it on the news. And so, to me, the scale question, most of the time when it's asked, it's a it's a wrong question. It's the it's a it's the demand to make everything to commodify, unify. It's the demand to take human beings. In the tech world, they say, "Well, we want a frictionless process." And what that's code for? Let's take a person out of it. And uh, in the bot world and the AI world and all of that. But I do think what you can do with your program is you're trying to aggregate a way of thinking, and, but not by making it standardized. So there is a place for a movement to occur. I'm just not sure where it is and when it's going to happen. Well, uh, I, I, this will be my last two minutes with you before Ron comes on. And I, again, just want to m- mention a couple of thank yous for some of the ways that you have changed my life. And that is that 
I, I when I when I give a presentation and where where it's at all feasible, I do as you recommend in community stand in the back of the room and welcome people into the room. Uh, and I can't I can't tell you what a difference that makes. So anyone who's listening to us who does presentations, just this whole notion of of greeting people when they come in and making that personal connection even before you start to talk. Um, yeah. What what an important thing that has been for me. So uh, so th- so thank you for that. Thank you for that that piece of advice and just the whole book of of community. I I have structured just about every. Uh, uh, write up uh, abstract for something that I'm giving based around your whole notion of state what the possibility is, offer the challenge, offer the invitation. Uh, and and so thanks for those two ideas. Thank you so much. It's, it's really, you know, the, the reason to welcome people in the room is for our own redemption. Because to be a speaker is deeply isolating. And I, and I welcome people in the room. I always break people into small groups, even if there's 5,000 in the room, and I know it's uncomfortable. And write your mother, you know. And people say, I don't want, I didn't come here for small groups. I know. I know you didn't come here. You know, I, I feel for you. Break into small groups. And then I join them. I join a small group just so I feel connected to the world. Otherwise, the speaking is isolated in and of itself. And, uh, and, and, and I also have a deep belief that what you hear in a group of three is a piece of an organism called the whole room or the whole culture. And so everything we're dealing with has a metaphoric connection. I see it in a small of three, six, nine, whatever we're in. But I know if I pay attention to what's going on in that small circle, it connects me to the world. And uh, I don't have to, you know, survey. I don't have to measure my value by number of followers or number of likes that I get. I can find it out in four minutes, just as the three of us can find it out in two minutes when we started this call. Outstanding. Well, uh, thanks again, Peter. We're up against this next and our and last break, but want to remind you that you can okay. contact Ron or me by sending an email to AskTSOE. The website, of course, is thesoulofenterprise.com. Show notes from previous shows as well as listen to shows and then previews to upcoming shows. But right now, a word from our sponsor and my employer, Sage. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Wherever your business is headed, Sage has the cloud solution you need to enable mobile accounting and simplify financial management. Discover how moving your financial data and accounting processes to the cloud can transform your business. Cloud accounting software from Sage can help you make better decisions, drive faster responses, and gain greater control. That's cloud accounting for the journey. For more information, visit sage.com forward slash US forward slash SOE. There is no blueprint for running the perfect firm. No way to know the challenges you'll face. But your journey does not have to be an odyssey. Experience what it is like for every part of your firm to be connected. Experience a practice management tool where everything is just a click away. Experience Office Tools. To learn more, visit officetools.com. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. 
The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here with Peter Block. And Peter, we did our first show on, you know, coming... uh, overcoming Frederick Taylor and the whole scientific management movement and, you know, escaping from the tyranny of efficiency and this kind of measurement mania that happens in business. And I, I love, I always love to quote Ed when I can, even though this is not his most grammatical statement, but Ed's got a great line that was quoted in Harvard business review, business ain't science. And I just wanted to get your reaction. When I think about airplanes and boats and bridges we can we can build those, and 100% of planes will fly, and 100% of boats will float, and 100% of bridges will stand. But when you look at businesses and marriages, the success rate is much lower than that, even though we've been doing those things a lot longer. And I, I think that's because you know, the, the planes and the boats are, are material, but we humans are spiritual. And they're, and we're more complicated than physical things. And I, I know you touch on these themes in your book, but I, I just we're obsessed with measuring everything and treating business like science, and it's not. It, react to that. Well, well, to me, uh, you know, there was a time when our culture was dominated by either the, the pope or the emperor or the government. Now it's dominated by the corporate, the corporatization of a culture. And uh, it doesn't bother me that, that uh, institutions don't last forever. You know, and, and, and the, the challenge is that the boat and the bridge, all right, and the airplane are extremely convenient, but they don't change my life. They're not what life is about. Uh, and so... I don't want to be distracted by the mir- by the miracle and the uh, amazing technology that exists in the world, but I don't want to pretend like it matters. People say, "Well, what do you think of the internet and social media?" I think it's cute. <laughs> you know, what, what about holding the world in your pocket and your cell phone? Well, I have flat screens all around me, and I think they're fine. They're nice, you know. They're and, uh, but they don't count. It doesn't bring us closer together. Just because I have friends in India I can now stay in touch with, it didn't bring us closer together. And so I just want to, I think, the, the, uh, the love of efficiency, the romanticization of the airplane is mostly designed to sell seats. You know, and so what works for marketing, what works for business is fine, but it's not the point. And it's become the point that I feel I want to organize my life around efficiency and cost and speed. And, uh, and I've, I've lost a part of myself. I've lost my dinner hour. I've lost a connection with 
the people of my neighbors. I've gone inside and the back. And so there's a human dimension that none of this magical uh, uh, accomplishments touches at all. And uh, I think the reason marriages are down is because we're no longer surrounded by an extended family. It's our isolation that leads us to think that two people have to carry it all between them. There's too much to carry. A child's too much to carry. A life is too much to carry. And so part of the work is to say, well, let me create an extended family and let me call it a neighborhood. And so there's a lot going on that I'm involved in. It says, well, your child will be much better off if nine people on your street know their name. And they've done research to say that's true. But you'll live, your health will be better off if you belong to an association. You'll live a year longer if you join something where people show up together. And, and so all the things that we care about, which is raising a child and having a livelihood, caring for the elderly and people vulnerable in the family, has to do with our connectedness to each other. And the airplane can't do that. And I think, you know, the bridge can't and the boat can't do that. So... It's also, also like worshiping false idols, and now the idols are the idols of industry, the accomplishments of industry, which are magical. I don't know how they do it. Uh, I don't know how they make an airplane. I used to consult with Boeing, and they love it, but it's not the point. And when you, when you talk about enterprise and your branding, you well, use the word soul for a reason, and the enterprise... Uh, it's very challenging in our work is to allow soul to enter the enterprise. And then we do that by having space for mystery, unpredictability, and deciding that face-to-face relationships are life-changing. And, uh, and the technology, you know, Eisenhower asked the first computer, is there a God? And the computer answered, there is now. <laughs> you know, you're so right about the connect. You know, our we're we're, we're just made to connect. And I, I yeah. no man's an island. I remember a study they looked at Utah and Nevada, very similar states, very similar demographics. But the Utah had you know much longer lifespans and healthier lives than Nevada. And the theory was there were more connected. Um, We've only got a couple minutes here, Peter, but I just want to ask you one last thing. Another one of my favorite lines from your book is this. An idealist is one who follows their ideals even to the point of impracticality. And I just want to ask you, do you see enough idealists today or have we become a complacent class? Well, I think uh, to... to, uh Cynicism is an idealist. The cynic is an idealist who's lost their faith. And I think we're losing faith. And so idealism now is an accusation. It's not something to uh, appreciate. And, and, and so our, your, what you're doing with your program and what we're in this together is to, is to uh, support the idea of prophecy. And idealism... And after a while, when people accused me of being too idealistic, I always said, thank you. (laughs) Well, Peter, thank you again so much. This has been just fascinating. We're going to have to have you back because we we didn't get to, I didn't get to a tenth of what I wanted to ask you. But again, (laughs) me neither. Me neither. How about this afternoon? You guys are wonderful. (laughs) 
<laughs> Thank you really. so much for really. appearing on the Soul okay. of Enterprise. Ed, what do we have on store for next week? Uh, next week, Ron, we are going to talk about why quality is defined by your customer, not you. Excellent. I will see you in 167 hours. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, business in the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. Join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, please do visit us at www.thesoulofenterprise.com. <laughs> 